We live in a culture of complaint. We see it in all walks of life. Politics, sport, commerce, entertainment, religion. So many cynics, so many critics, so many complainers. So many people who are just sour. They have little joy and lots and lots of sadness. And it seems as if they're in a prison, almost slaves to complaining. We need to be free to have a thankful heart, to have a thankful disposition in life. And God has given us the Sabbath as a gift. For us, of course, it's the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, Sunday, to do two things, to rest, yes, but also to praise God, to thank God, to celebrate God, to say thank you for all your goodness and all your grace to us. Now, the Psalms teach us much about how to live the life of faith. And we've been seeing through these 90s what goes on in the Psalms, what it teaches us. Psalm 90, God is our home. Psalm 91, God is our shelter. And Psalm 92, God is our delight, the one we should thank and praise. Of course, we know that there are many temptations in life. One of them is that we take all that he gives us for granted. We enjoy these things without a thought, a word, or an act of appreciation or thankfulness or praise. We take the gifts and we forget the giver. We're going to see that in verses 6 to 9 of Psalm 92. That's wrong. It's a sin. As one writer says, Psalm 92 helps us to delight in God. And especially the Lord's Day is to help us to do that, to delight Him together, to be glad in Him together. In fact, the same writer says that Psalm 92 helps us to rewire our minds and our hearts. And oh, I believe we need that so much because we take, we enjoy, we hoard, we consume, we desire comfort and ease, glory and position, power and success, more and more of these things. I need a rewired heart. Maybe you do too. Well, Psalm 92 I hope will be a help. As you can see there at the heading of Psalm 92, it was used in a very special way on the Sabbath, the Jewish Saturday, the seventh day of rest and worship. So this psalm is seeking to teach us about the value of public worship, delighting in God and his day and his gospel and his worship and his people. So especially in these days of lockdown, do you miss meeting together? Do you miss public services of worship? I hope so. And I hope we remember that we missed it when we didn't have it, when life returns to some kind of normality. We'll appreciate all the more our time together. We will commit afresh to our two worship services on Sunday. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this, this song, Psalm 92, for the Sabbath is proof enough, if such were needed, that the Old Testament Sabbath was a day not only for rest, but for corporate worship, and intended to be a delight rather than a burden. We are living in abnormal days, yes. But think about when we return to normality. Will we view corporate worship as a delight rather than a burden? 
Will we be able to say, I really want to go to the meeting house in Rich Hill, and I want to worship God, and I want to thank God, and I want to love God, and I want to enjoy God, and I want to delight in Him, and I want to do it morning and evening. If that's how you feel, as I think you should, then why don't you write it down? Make a vow. Declare your intentions to the Lord. Why don't you create a lockdown lesson list? It's good alliteration, isn't there? Lockdown lesson list. And you can write things like, God, you are my real home. God, you are my real shelter. God, you are my real delight. And I will gladly, thankfully, meet with your people and worship you on your day. What we see in Psalm 92, the three sections, an example of thankfulness, one to four, an example of thanklessness in 5 to 9, and then an example of the benefits of thankfulness in 10 to 15. So first of all, the example of thankfulness, verses 1 to 4. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name almost high, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you have made me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. You'll notice that in the NIV it uses the word praise there in verse 1. Others use the word thanks. And that's probably better, although of course the giving of thanks is through praise, so they're linked. So we're going to use them together. Thanks and praise. And we give thanks and praise because of who he is and because of what he has done. And it is good, it is right, it is proper for us to do so. C.H. Spurgeon writes this, It is good ethically, for it is the Lord's right. It is good emotionally, for it is pleasant to the heart. And it is good practically, for it leads others to render the same homage. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Notice again the use of the names, Lord and Most High, Yahweh and Elion. He deserves it because of who he is. And we should not be guilty of horrible ingratitude. Horrible ingratitude is a horrible sin. It should be a sweet, delightful joy to come together on the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and say, thank you, God. Not with a sense of dread or reluctance. Do I have to? Or out of habit. I always have, so I suppose I always will. We have been given the Lord's Day as a gift. The day we remember that Jesus rose again from the dead. And so it's right and it's good to praise him and to thank him. To meet together when we can. When we can. And worship him. Now, the statistics are pretty alarming. Recently, the staff members here went to a conference in Balamina, and we learned some new things. In America, among those who claim to be Bible-believing, born-again Christians, only 50% go to church ever. Only 50% of them go to church ever. 
And of the 50% who do go to church, they only attend roughly about three services out of eight. Now, it's probably better here, slightly better here, but we see dangerous signs that we're heading in the same direction. People saying, I don't need to join with God's people on God's day to worship God. And the reason for many not attending church on the Lord's day with the Lord's people to partake in the Lord's worship is, it's boring. That's what people say. It's irrelevant. Now, our C. Sproul was challenged about this some years ago, and this is what he said. When I look in my Bible and I see people encounter God, I see some of them tremble, I see some of them weep, I see some of them die, but never do I see them bored. Could it be that the reason people find church boring is that they weren't looking for God? They were looking for something else. That's the end of the quote. So what are we looking for? Who are we looking for? Do we want God to delight in him? Is our desire to thank him, praise him, worship him? Then we will never be bored. Never be bored. But if we don't want God if we don't want to meet God, if we don't want to know God, if we don't want to worship God, we will be bored. You'll be bored with RPC, Ritual Presbyterian Church. You'll be bored with the sermon. So we're called to look to God, to desire God, to delight in God, to hunger for God like we hunger for food, to thirst for God like the way we thirst for water. Our greatest joy should be to thank and praise God. God. And we're to thank and praise him at all times. You'll notice in verses 2 and 3. We'll go through the rest of the psalm a wee bit faster. Verse 2 and 3. To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. Here's the compelling case made in this passage for the opening and the closing of the Lord's Day to be done in corporate worship. That's why we have a morning service and an evening service. And that means we should, if we possibly can, join with God's people morning and evening to thank him and to praise him. Now tonight, we're not having a worship service as such, but we're having a prayer meeting. I'd urge you to join us. To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Now, the psalmist is not intending to restrict us to thanking him for his love in the morning service and to thanking him for his faithfulness in the evening service. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying, suggesting that we should sing of his love and his faithfulness forever. All his works that we see around us provide us with an inexhaustible list of subjects for worship. Especially, though, Highlighted here, we have his loyal love and his faithfulness. And we're also told that we are to thank and praise God musically with all kinds of instruments and with voices. That's why 
we have here the idea of lots of people coming together, musicians and singers together, worshiping God in the morning, in the evening. Verse 1, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Verse 3, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. Verse 4, for you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hand. Now, leaders of the church in the past, and still some in the present, are opposed to the use of instruments to accompany congregational singing. In the past, this has included people like C.H. Spurgeon, I've quoted earlier, who is the great Baptist leader, and Calvin himself, John Calvin, the father of Presbyterianism. It's rather strange, isn't it, when you read this psalm, And other psalms, especially Psalm 150, where we're supposed to use every conceivable instrument to praise our God. But James Montgomery Boyce is surely right when he says they were expressing personal opinions and not biblical mandates. The instruments mentioned there in verse 3, the ten-stringed lyre and the harp, were the common instruments of the day. And so we should use instruments common to our day, That's what we seek to do here normally in Ritual Presbyterian Church in our worship services. Now, if you know me, you'll know that I'm not very musical. But I do know that that the proper use of music can increase and deepen our emotional and spiritual responses. Now, of course, they can be used to manipulate our emotions, and therefore we need to be very, very careful. We must choose our music and our lyrics with good care. But music, properly used, can be used to engage our souls, our minds, and our hearts and lead us to Christ-centered worship. You see, worship, that's not from the heart. Not from a heart properly engaged. It's not worship at all. It's just noise. Passionate worship devoid of truth, is not worship. It's just noise. Vodi Bukham, speaking to the danger of the church not teaching the people of God properly, has said this, the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. The modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. Sadly, he is right. And so we must indeed teach our people well how to worship well. Verse 4, For you have made me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. See, when we see and think about the work of your hands... We are glad. We're thankful. We praise. So what are the works of your hands, we might ask? Well, creation, salvation in Jesus, providential care day by day, the, the very thoughts of God referred to there in verse 5, his word. How great are your works, O Lord, how profound your thoughts. For these things and many, many more, we thank him and we praise him every day especially on the Lord's Day, Sunday. 
And we thank him morning and evening, every day, especially the Lord's day. My prayer is that in lockdown, we will appreciate the Lord and appreciate the Lord's day more. And when we return, we will be committed to worshiping together and enjoying him together and making him our delight. That's the example of thankfulness and what it looks like. But we're also given an example of thanklessness in verses 5 to 9. How great are your works, O Lord, how profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. We refer to the works of his hands. They're obvious. We mentioned them just a few moments ago. Creation, salvation, the provision of all good gifts, etc., etc. See, when the believer sees such things, the believer delights in them and praises God and thanks God for them, or at least they should do. The unbeliever sees all the same things and does not delight in him, does not thank him. So they enjoy the provision, but ignore the provider. They enjoy the gifts, but ignore the giver. And that's why they're called senseless and fools in verse 6. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand. The psalmist is not throwing insults around. His purpose is to warn them of danger, to save them from judgment, the judgment that is coming, verse 7. The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. So the psalmist says, for a brief moment, these thankless people seem to get away with it. But it won't last. They will prosper for a moment, but judgment will come, and their misery, misery will be forever. They act like enemies of God, and so will be punishment, or punished as enemies of God, verse 9. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You see, friends, if we delight in stuff and if we want and desire and get meaning and purpose from stuff and forget about him, the provider, we will face the consequences. Judgment is coming. And it's not the way to live. So in many ways, we have a choice between delighting in the Lord or delighting in the stuff that the Lord provides Delighting in Jesus or delighting in self? Delighting in walking the narrow way or delighting in walking in the broad way? Verse 8, of course, is the hinge of the whole psalm. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. Reminds us of the point of the whole psalm. He is Yahweh. He is Lord. He is to be delighted in. He is to be exalted by all. So we should be thankful many will be thankless. But thirdly, the benefits of the thankful life. I mean, are there any benefits of the thankful life? Yes, there are. We see it in people's lives, but of course, more importantly, we see it in the scriptures. 
Verse 10, for instance, we see the first thing. The renewing strength is the picture here that's given to the thankful heart. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. Now, the, the horn was a symbol of strength. And of course, it was also used as a container for the oil of anointing. Therefore, a sign of the soothing, refreshing joy of God's blessing. And so the picture here is of renewing strength and renewing blessing. So the thankful, worshipful, praiseful believer experiences his strength and experiences renewal. That's the difference that a thankful heart makes. Renewing strength. Secondly, victory in verse 11. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the right of my wicked foes. As we thought about last week, we're not guaranteed a peaceful existence as we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we are promised victory as we stand in Jesus and put on the armor of God. See, that's the difference a thankful, God-filled heart, a Christ-honoring heart makes. We have victory in Jesus. Fruitfulness is mentioned in verses 12 to 14. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. The the palm tree is a picture of ongoing grace. The cedar is a picture of strength and dignity. Both are evergreens. So all year round, they are fruitful for shade and for protection. That's what verse 12 and 13 say. And God causes the, the thankful, trusting people to be fruitful and to flourish even into old age. Even into old age, verse 14. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Now, isn't it sad, sad to see people become older and grumpy and cynical, and selfish, and lazy, and complaining. Isn't it sad? But isn't it sweet to see people become older, and joyful, and serving, and positive, and encouraging, and worshipful, and thanking God, and praising God right to the very end? Be fruitful now and into your old age. If you're young or middle-aged and maybe you find Sundays and church and religion and your faith boring and tedious, how on earth will you keep going to old age? You will not. And you need now to make the Lord your delight. The last benefit from the thankful life is Testimony, proclaiming the message of our great and wonderful God, verse 15. Proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Oh, he is upright. He is rock-like. He is holy and pure. So these are the benefits of the thankful life. Renewing strength in Jesus, victory in Jesus, fruitfulness in Jesus, testifying about Jesus. For all of this, we can say it is good 
to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. We need to think a lot more, don't we? About who we are and why we're here and who he is. And we need to move to maturity in our thanking, in our gratitude, and in our praise. If Jesus Christ is in our hearts, then our thanking goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And instead of getting to old age weary and dry in soul and cynical, we get to old age joyful and glad and delighting in God. But if we want to do that, we've got to make the changes now. And he must be our delight. In our call to worship, we read from Revelation 19, and we recently finished a series in the book of Revelation that you'll find online. And there we see a picture of heaven where there's hallelujah praise, hallelujah thanks, where there's great rejoicing as as the people of God are glad for his rule and for his reign. Verse 6, he reigns. Verse 7, he weds us. Verse 8, he clothes us. Verse 9, he invites us to the wedding feast or the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. We are his people. And verse 10, he demands pure worship. The thanksgiving and the praise of Psalm 92. We're going to worship him and thank him properly and biblically and spiritually when we get there. So why don't we get used to it now as best we can? The last wedding reception ever is going to be in heaven. The best wedding reception ever is going to be with Jesus in glory. Not being part of the bride of Christ, not being part of the marriage feast of the Lamb, not being in heaven is a serious thing. So the invitation has gone out. Didn't we read that? Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Are you going to be there where we will be to truly thank and praise and worship the Lord Jesus? Because you see, the Lamb of God, Jesus, says, Come. Come. Those of you who are burdened and weighed down with living in a fallen, broken world. Come, says Jesus. Those of who are harassed and helpless and weary. Come, says Jesus. Those who feel guilty and empty and troubled. The Lamb of God, Jesus says, come and have your sins forgiven. Come and be saved. Come and truly worship and enjoy me. Come and thank me and praise me. Come and be free and be saved. Will you come? It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us to this great calling to be a people of praise, to be a people of thanks, to be a people of worship. Help us to learn how to make you our delight. We can't do it by ourselves, but we ask that your Holy Spirit will enable us to make you our delight. 
and help us not to be guilty of horrible ingratitude. Help us not to be like the man, the men described as senseless and fools, but let us see all the benefits that there is in being a thankful, worshipful people, that we might have renewed strength in Jesus, that we might have victory in Jesus, that we might have fruitfulness in Jesus, even to old age, that we might be able to testify about Jesus so that we would get to old age, not weary and dry and soul and cynical, but we will be joyful and glad and delighting in God. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.